ice cream? Do you ever look at ice cream flavors and wonder, how the hell did someone come up with this? How does it taste so damn good? How do they do it? Welcome to Let's Spoon Podcast, where we chat with ice cream makers and get the scoop on the stories behind the ice cream. Come cuddle up and spoon with your hosts, Stephanie Dela Cruz from Dela Cramery, and myself, Brooke Shapiro, aka Sunday's Mom. And let's dig in and chat all things ice cream. This episode, we're spooning with Petrushka Bazin Larson, co-founder of Sugar Hill Creamery in Harlem, New York. She's going to share how she used her art, education, and community-driven passion to create an ice cream shop in her neighborhood of Harlem. The shop serves as a space to truly serve and support the community in so many ways. Come dig in with this badass mama, life coach, and ice cream entrepreneur. We opened on July 28th to friends, family, and Kickstarters supporters, um, and then July 29th to the public of 2017. Um, we opened the shop because my husband, who has a long history in hospitality, uh, had taken a, a GM, a general manager position at um, a fantastic restaurant which had been around for a while. And then unexpectedly it closed. And so we were expecting our second child. And um, I was working at the time as the vice president of programs and education at Brooklyn Children's Museum, just the first children's museum in the world. It's in, it's in Brooklyn. Anyway, we don't live in Brooklyn, we live in Harlem. And we were just at this crossroads um, for what the next step could be uh, because of that unexpected life change. And he had always wanted to open a restaurant and um, I'm of the mind that, you know, we should bring something to the market that's going to add something to the market and not just be a superfluous food establishment. Um, And we didn't have ice cream. We didn't have small batch ice cream, anything uptown. And we, so we live in Harlem. I've lived here since 04, he moved think 0506. Um, so this is our home. And we decided that we would, after eating ice cream while I was on maternity leave with some friends, that we, we realized that we could not do that at home and that we should connect these dots and open up a small batch ice cream shop. And so that really was the inception. And here we are. We just celebrated our fourth anniversary. Wow. So how did you like get into actually making the ice cream and the flavors? So um, my husband has the, the experience that he has in hospitality is front of house. Uh, and, but early on pre-children, I think even before we were married, it was like, if you want to open your own place, like, don't you think that you should have some back of house experience? And um, so I encouraged him to explore the possibility of going to culinary school, which is not always a necessary step, but can be very helpful. Um, he, he reflects on that experience. He's like, we spent one day on ice cream in the pastry section of the curriculum. So he didn't, I mean, he learned the basics of it, uh, there, but because he's worked in the industry for a while, he's also made some, you know, friends in the industry, um, that worked in the kitchens. And so when we had this idea, which was really a lifestyle solution, more than it was since I was five, I've always wanted to open an ice cream shop. Um, He reached out to them and was like, hey, this is what we wanna do. Can you like support me, you know, and like coach me basically. And so there were a couple of folks that did. uh, And then he kind of just, it actually, we opened with with an ice cream consultant on board who was a friend of, of his and then became a friend of mine too. 
And um, after like a few months, several months of us all working together in this way, he was making recipes and bringing, you know, and, and having and serving them at the shop. And I was like, why don't you just make all the recipes? <laughs> like, I don't understand, you know, but he's from the Midwest. I'm from, I'm from the city, from New York and DC. And he's from rural Iowa, from like a farm, many acres of farmland. And so there's, I think a modesty that just is baked into Midwesterners at times that I'm just like, I'm from the city, okay? So we gotta get this done. You sink or swim, you starve or eat, like, let's just go. So I, I encouraged him to consider, you know, just doing the recipes to our friend's possible dismay. But um, he did, and in that like first year, and then he's been making them ever since. And so um, I'm glad that he has leaned in uh, into his culinary capacities. Uh, our flavors are spins on classics and also um, influenced and informed by Harlem, our neighborhood, um, and our cultural background. So uh, my dad is from Haiti, so there's a Caribbean influence. Uh, my mom is African-American, so there's uh, an African-American influence. He's white and from rural Iowa, um, and his family, like, they can actually trace back like the last three generations um, were, had just come to the country from Scandinavia. So anyway, there's like farm influence, there's Harlem, there's like this whole mashup that reflects um, who we are as people and what our current lived experience is. So um, he pulls from that. I am the resident tester. Um, I take my job very seriously. And, <laughs> and so, um, but he is now the one that's making all the ice creams and developing all the flavors and our, um, pastry team has grown over COVID. We have grown over COVID. Um, so now there are three people on that team. So he's not the one that's making the ice cream every day anymore. We're doing like other operational things. And, um, and yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's that. Um, and then I can tell you about our like flavor names and how we select those because there's, there's story there too. Um, uh, so he came to New York to be a comedian. Um, and if you've ever met him, which you, I realize have not met him, um, that's not the first thing that you think of when you meet him. He is not a, a terribly, uh, he's not an extrovert. He is textbook introvert. And he um, is not, he just, just doesn't have a performative persona, you know? So it's not something that people realize. And then when they learn it, they're a little surprised and but it's lovely and he has a very I think very sophisticated taste in comedy as um I think people who are writers in comedy and actual stand-up comedians who are often terribly troubled um by the world and their emotions and inner thoughts he's the same and so, <laughs> so there's just a, it's just to say that also there's a, like a lot of layer to all of our flavors um there's symbolism in some cases there's cultural influence there's uh something that happened to us there's like every name is meaningful um and i'll give some examples that touch on the spectrum of naming if you will um uh, there's new news peach cobbler this is a peach cobbler flavor that has now become a mainstay there are only there were four flavors in our case that we always have year round and now this is the fifth because customers were like no i must have it get it back now. So Nunu is my sister. Her name is not Nunu, but that's what our kids call her. And so um, uh, he 
pulled her cobbler, like the crumble, it's like a fruit crumble that she makes usually around the holiday. And he was like, this is so good. Anyway, so she does not give recipes out, not even to me. And she holds him in high regard. And I'm saying that because I'm like, why don't you hold me in high regard? Can I have your recipe? But anyway, um, so she gave him, um, she gave him her recipe. And so he's like folded that into this peach cobbler, which is like a cinnamon base with brandied peaches. And, um, and now it is a classic in the, in the case. And so it's called Mimi's Peach Cobbler because of my sister. And then there is, let's see, there is a, a flavor called uh, green carts. And so that is a strawberry flavor that we um, infuse basil into and also incorporate lemon curd and vanilla wafer sort of crumble. And we named it Green Carts. And again, Nick is the one, like this is where his, you could see his pop culture influences is just like life influences coming in. But he named it Green Carts because um, uh, Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg was our mayor for three terms. Um, usually it's just two, but um, he did this initiative in the city where um, there would there are now um, produce and fr fruit carts on different corners so that there was more access, access to fresh um, vegetables and fruits. And so they're called green carts. And so because it's a, a flavor that we sell during the summer and strawberries are in season, he named it green cards um, and they use all these things. Anyway, so there's always a story. Um, chairperson of the board is our most popular flavor. It's a blueberry cheesecake ice cream that we sold in our first weeks of being open. And then we tried to adapt it, make like a current cheesecake. And people were like, no, bring back the blueberry. So um, we, we named that chairperson of the board because and he's like, it's because of me. <laughs> She's the chairperson of our board. Anyway, so um, so yeah, there's always a fun thing. Harlem Sweeties also uh, is a flavor that we sell, have sold from the beginning and is a classic in our case. It's a salted caramel with butterscotch pieces and brownie pieces. We make um, brownies in house and um, it's called Harlem Sweeties after Langston Hughes' poem by the same name. And obviously like Langston Hughes had a very robust career in history um, in Harlem and obviously impacted the diaspora has continues to impact us. Anyway, so we try to, we pull from different, different things and reflect our, our lived experience through ice cream. So as you're going through this, I'm literally reading what's in the flavors on your website here. And I feel like I could eat like four, like I definitely want all four of those but then I'm like okay what about all of the rest like I'm just thinking in my head like how would I even choose because they all sound so good <laughs> and so the question here too is it seems like a lot of these are like summery fruits mm -hmm. so does your uh flavors rotate mm -hmm. so um we sell 10 to 12 flavors at a time at our first location on Lenox Avenue between 119th and 120th, we have space in the dipping case for 10 flavors. And sometimes we'll keep like a 11th or 12th in the freezer. So you can't see it, but it's on the board and we can serve it. At our Broadway location, um, which is further north in Harlem, um, it's between 149th and 150th street. We have space in the case for 12 flavors. So there are 12 flavors on view. And then, um, and so we opened that last October, COVID October, uh, COVID Halloween scary, spooky. Um, and, um, and then we opened a third location in Dumbo at the timeout market. And so those two locations have space for 12. So you always see 12. That said, 
there are five flavors that are always in the case. And then the next five to seven flavors rotate throughout the year and on a seasonal basis. So the five flavors that are always in the case are the vanilla, it's Andy Griffith, cheeky, because it's very vanilla. <laughs> um, there's a, a dark chocolate sorbet that we call Sweet Socialism. That was actually named after a Kickstarter backer and we kept it. Um, it's a wonderful conversation starter on people's politics and, and why, yeah, anyway. so. Uh, then there is uh, the chairperson of the board, blueberry cheesecake, the Harlem Swedish, the salted caramel, and now Nunu's peach cobbler. Now, right now in the summer, we have um, green carts, which is the strawberry flavor that I mentioned. We have first day out, and that is a corn um, ice cream with um, jalapeno. And it's not like, it's it, it, it depends on the jalapeno, right? Sometimes like jalapenos are super hot and sometimes they're not as hot. You know, you don't know it until you cut it open um, and steep it. And, you know, so there's like a varying degree degree of heat, but at, all of our flavors are very subtle. They're not overly sweet. We feel like sugar masks flavor and you don't get ingredients. Like you can't taste the ingredients. You can't taste the complexity in the flavor profile. So um, this is a good example of that where it's like we steep the base in the corn uh, or so steep the corn in the base. Um, oh no, base in the corn. <laughs> and then, um, and as well as the jalapeno. And then we fold in a um, hibiscus jam. And so uh, these are all, they're all flavors that are there. They're not manufactured flavors. They're not fabricated. So they're not going to be like overly pronounced and they're not going to leave an aftertaste. And if you have like a scoop or multiple scoops, they're just, it's going to build on itself. So by the end of your, you know, experience with that flavor, you will have heat, but it's not like, you know, it's not gimmicky. It's not like going to heat up your mouth and you're, it's unpalatable. Um, so that's a summer flavor. We also just introduced a passion fruit apricot with a, a spicy guava swirl. That's a non-dairy option. That's super fruity and fun. Um, the guava swirl is uh, a sauce that is made by a neighbor. And, um, and when at all possible, we try to collaborate um, with fellow culinary talents. Um, it's not always possible, but when we can, we do. And uh, uh, he, Dr. Sauce, that's his name. And he's Dr. Sauce 119, I think, uh, on Instagram. Um, and Nick, my husband, have like struck up a, you know, a neighborly relationship because he comes to the shop and it led to this guava sauce that is now in the swamp. So uh, that's another example of us reflecting our neighborhood when at all possible, you know? Um, and then let's see what else what else? oh there's a watermelon black sesame non-dairy option as well um that's like uh i love that flavor and i i don't think i've tasted anything like it and it's delicious and anybody who does not i mean you don't have to not eat dairy to enjoy it obviously because i eat i'm an equal opportunity uh ice cream consumer um but those who have tasted it who also don't eat dairy like i've never tasted anything like this either I'm like, it is true um there's also a coffee flavor, which is not necessarily specific to a season, but um, we like to offer this particular coffee in the summer. It's called Tumabuna, and it is uh, an Ethiopian coffee um, uh, base. Like we, we steep it in Ethiopian coffee, Ethiopian coffee beans, um, and we fold in a turmeric ginger candy. And the story behind this is that in 2019, 
we did a series called the Harlem Flavor of the Week. So we collaborated with six tastemakers uh, that are impacting Black culture in the neighborhood and beyond. And um, Tuma Basa uh, was one of those collaborators. At the time, he worked at Spotify and he was the person that created the rap caviar list that many people listen to every day. He lived in Harlem. And so we reached out to him because I met him a long time ago when I was in college and shooting my thesis work. Um, so we've you know been friends ever since. And uh, we wanted you know him to be a part of the series because he's definitely impacting culture like here and beyond or in a lot of places. And so at the time, his then fiance, now wife, um, Abayanesh, who is Ethiopian, they work together on this flavor. And so um, Buna is a coffee uh, ritual in Ethiopia. It's a coffee like coffee ceremony, if you will. Um, and so Tuma is his name, and Buna is the Ethiopian coffee like influence and it's a coffee ice cream and the turmeric and ginger like Nick just kind of was playing around with stuff and he's like try it I mean we tried a lot of different variations and they all enjoyed um, that pairing so that's another flavor that's in the case this summer okay so now I'm up to like eight or nine scoops (laughs) (laughs) how long do people usually take to pick their flavor like out of curiosity because these are all like so unique and special that I feel like I would have to try them all and then be like, okay, which one do I want? Yeah. So we allow unlimited tastings, you know, so you can come to the, uh, to the case and just taste them all. Uh, if you want, um, there are sometimes pre COVID, uh, when kids were just like walking freely to and from school without parents and stuff. Um, they would come in and that would be their ice cream. They're like, can we taste, you know, <laughs> because we always gave free tastings and, and they never bought. Um, sometimes they would, but most of the time, no. Uh, and, but for those, for those adult paying customers, it depends, you know, honestly, if I'm being completely transparent, if there's like a line, like out of the door, we don't limit, but we suggestively move them along. <laughs> We're like, well, do you like this? Okay, try this. Do you like it? Okay, great. You know, um, but obviously like, people can taste as many flavors as they want. Um, and sometimes it does take a little while. And it also depends on who's working behind the counter. Like if I'm working behind the counter, I just want everybody to like taste everything and like have a moment. But meanwhile, there are like four people waiting, like hurry up. So there are ways that we have to kind of encourage people to make a selection. And it was interesting actually during COVID um, at our Lennox location, we had a walk-up window, which was probably the best architectural decision we could have ever made four years ago um, because we never closed um, and we were able to save safely, uh, serve safely and um, still um, offer America's favorite dessert uh, during very uncertain and trying times um, such that people even said during and, and, and we're still during, but like not necessarily at the height that we were in last year. Um, like this was like the only regular normal thing that was happening for me is being able to get ice cream and like taking my like weekly walk or my daily walk and being able to get that. So being able to um, do that through that walk-up window was amazing. But as a result of that walk-up window, you couldn't see the case. So you could only go based on the ingredients and the labels. And so people, um, and also because of COVID, like we were not really like, here, have all the flavors and let's put spit everywhere. So, um, you know, people kind of came to the window with a decision and kind of committed. And so I've seen that kind of behavior uh, when coming to the case a little bit more, but now that people can see what's inside, it does create an opportunity for analysis paralysis. 
Can we talk about the community a little bit? You've mentioned that a few times and I feel like hearing your flavors and stories, it it sort of reminds me of a museum. Like it seems like that was your background, the history and everything. Um, How do you think about all your community programming? Um, So because we opened in our neighborhood, we take what we do very seriously because it's not like you can run. (laughs) Like, you know, you you don't put something out in the world and not take any ownership over it. Like, or have responsibility for it. So um, we, like our neighbors are our customers and customers are our neighbors. And I do view the ice cream shop as an art experience. Um, When you go into a museum, you're looking at art of different mediums. Maybe you're looking at paintings or uh, photographs or um, moving image or sculpture or an installation or performance-based work, whatever. You're going into these four walls to experience a creative act and a creative output. And then there are programs called public programs that help interpret that work for you or help create space for you to further interpret it for yourself or with other people. And so um, we think of the shop in that similar way. The, the work is the ice cream. It's been carefully, you know, created and, um, and thought of um, in, in terms of the ingredients and, and the naming and, um, you know, the impact that we'd like it to have on people's taste buds. <laughs> but, um, but then there is a space uh, where there are tables. And this is in part, you know, the, the vision for this business is like, we didn't, we have a Baskin and Robbins and there's nothing wrong with that, but there literally is just like one little circle metal table in a fluorescently lit space that is very transactional in nature where nobody's spending time um, to connect or to just like unwind. And so the vision for creating an ice cream shop, we, we prioritized seating over production to our to our chagrin. Um, and we learned that lesson. But anyway, you know, there's a ton of space to, I mean, a ton of space for New York um, to sit and to spend time. And so because of that, there's an opportunity for us to bring programs to that space so that we can not necessarily like use the museum analogy and uh, literally and interpret the flavors, but really just interpret our relationships with each other, right? Um, to interpret different topics in the world um, together. And so some examples of programs that we've hosted in the past, um, and I would say pre-COVID, BC, before COVID, um, are, you know, we had an ice cream social series. So that was an opportunity for people to come. They didn't have to buy a scoop if they didn't want, you know, it was an opportunity to sit at the tables and have a conversation around uh, a variety of quality of life topics. And we invited people um, who are customers or neighbors or friends to come and lead those conversations um, in the areas that were passion- like they were passionate about and that they were experts in. So some examples were like desegregating public schools. I, at the time, was serving as the PA president of our eldest child's school, and she's at a public school. Um, and we brought this person in who's a friend of another parent who's doing this work, this organizing work in his spare time, and he led that similar conversation for our parent body. And so I was like, hey, we're launching this new ice cream social series and like bringing in experts on different topics to lead conversation. Do you want to do that? And he was like, okay, do you feel like people are going to come? You know, it's not like a light topic. And I was like, it'll be fine. Um, And so 
he, you know, was a part of the series along with uh, somebody I, that we go to church with who's like an interior designer and who's talking about the benefits of interior design. Like it's a part of your life. Like you, your living space should be aesthetically pleasing so that you can have self-care and you can, you know, be productive in the ways that you need to be productive and just have beauty around you. So she was a part of that series. Then there was another mom that I know in the neighborhood who led a conversation around your birthing rights in a hospital. Needless to say, and all of these conversations, but specifically the, the desegregating public schools conversation, the one that he was like, I don't know if people are going to come. People came. Many people came for our space. Like It was like a, a robust conversation that wasn't like 50 people because we can't fit 50 people, but like the tables were full, people were rapidly engaged and hopefully they stayed connected with him. He was like, I didn't really think how, I didn't know how this was going to go. And I remember a couple of other neighbors came to it and they were like, how did you get these people here? I was like, eh. I mean, because they're interested and we're just creating space, you know? Um, so that's an example of a, of a program series that we offered. We also did um, story time on Saturdays. Um, we partnered with a nonprofit. Um, we paid them because they had like a fee for partnering with restaurants and other spaces. Um, and they would, they organized all of the story time. So they had a story time reader. They would have like a visiting author. Sometimes the, if the author was doing the reading, then they would sign books. And it was like a, you know, a weekly Saturday engagement. We did that for a little bit. Um, our longest running program is a fee-based program. So the things that I mentioned before are free. And then we have some fee-based programs, but the longest fee-based program that I just actually wrapped up like a couple of hours ago, I had to lead it on my phone because I couldn't find my charger because it was in one of my kids' beds, um, <laughs> um, is a new mom's group. So when our eldest child, who is now eight, um, we have three kids who are eight, five, and three. But when our eldest child was born, I was like alone in the world, um, did not have friends who had kids yet. Um, I was that person in our group and uh, had the expectations about what it would be. But obviously all of those were dashed when the actual child was in my arms. And it was a very isolating experience being in a pretty cold winter that year um, in New York and just not being surrounded by people who understand, who understood what I was going through because I also didn't really understand what I was going through, but definitely needed the support of others and connection. So I had attended a, um, a new mom's group that is no longer held um, at a yoga studio that is now since closed. And that was immensely powerful for me. I'm actually going to the house of one of the moms that was in that group um, today and uh, for a play date. But when we opened the space and I was like, well, we don't do anything during the morning because we don't sell ice cream in the morning. We open in the afternoon. And I was like, well, we could offer a new mom's group. And I think right after our third child was born, I started like organizing this new mom's group. Like initially it had speakers and then event, like after that first cycle, I started just facilitating it um, and pulling from my experience in my field, you know, like creating meaningful spaces of connection through in previous life art, but in this case, through the shared experience of having a baby. So um, that has been happening since March of 2018. Um, and it has been going, we, we run some Zoom-based groups um, during COVID, but I've had, there have been moments where I've had to kind of check out because I also teach um, an art education to undergrads at City College. So it was just a lot, you know, during COVID with like three kids at home and the shops and we're growing and I'm teaching and a Zoom Mobs group. So I've had to, you know, press pause on certain things at different times, but um, we are, you know, still running that group and the mothers who have connected in that space have stayed connected and um, some of them are on their second kids. I don't think anybody has had three kids yet, but definitely there have been a series of mothers in like the last 
you know, a few years who are on their second kid. And, you know, just like I, I get emails from them sometimes, or obviously I see them in the neighborhood if they haven't moved out and they're like, thank you, you know, thank you for making the space for us, you know, for to, to, to know each other and to support each other. There were um, two moms that at early COVID, I ran into them just like walking outside in masks and what have you. And they're like, we're part of each other's like COVID pod. Like that was their pod and they met in the group, you know? So it's like, these sort of stories are very, um, amazing to me. Um, and another, like an extension of the work that we are doing in, you know, the act of selling ice cream is like really genuinely bringing people to connect it together, bringing people together and staying connected, um, and not really trite and superficial ways, but deeply meaningful ways that are like life-changing and genuinely offering support, um, during, you know, life's journey and, 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 and cycle. That's how I actually found out about you was I had my son October, 2018 and I live on the West coast, but my family's back East and they're like, you should move back East. You can go to this ice cream shop that we've seen has a mommy and me group. Like, wouldn't you love to do that? Um, yeah. And so that's amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how my, my mom or my sister-in-law found it. And they're like, this is like your heaven. And I was like, I'm not moving back East for an ice cream shop as much as that is pretty tempting. Like I really considered it, but that's fair. Yeah. (laughs) just Such a great idea. And like hearing about the community and being a new mom, like I organized some new mom groups too, like mommy meetups where I meet in the park and it's just, it is so lonely. And ice cream is something that brings you together. You can eat when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're lonely, when you're filled with love, like, I think it like it's just so incredible that you tied those two things together in such a meaningful way. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. I, I, um, yeah, I, I am always blown away that I don't know. It's helpful, even though I I don't know why it would be because it was immensely helpful for me. You know, um, and I encourage any mother anywhere, anybody who's listening, like find find that space and and join as many of them as you can because you are not meant to walk this earth alone. Like you are not meant to do anything alone. There should be people supporting you at every turn and you should be supporting others at every turn um, to make life more meaningful and better. And so it's certainly the case parenting because it's such a, a new frontier, you know, where now you are giving and stewarding life for someone else who has absolutely no idea what's going on and can barely see you anyway, you know? <laughs> their vision is developing, you know, they just like can smell you. So it's, it's really important to do that in, in community with others, um, when at all possible. I'm actually starting, um, an online membership group as an extension of that work. There are a lot of projects over here. I really enjoy these things (laughs) and, and, and being able to dedicate like our full-time efforts to ice cream has given me the opportunity to dive deeper into my, you know, personal projects that are connected to what it is that we do. But, um, the community is called Schmoms and it's because the mothers that have been in this series call each other Sugar Hill Moms. And I didn't know that they had coined that, you know, as their sort of moniker as like, I don't know what I should call this space. And, and then somebody said, well, you know, cause I'm getting together with the other Sugar Hill moms. And I was like, moms, like, of course, you know, <laughs> so it'll be, um, it's not, I'm working on a, my God, I, when I hear myself, I'm like, I'm working on too many things, but I'm like so excited about all of them. Um, a friend was like, you're like manic, but in a good way, <laughs> 
I was like, yeah, that's what it is. In the fall, I'm launching an online course called uh, Mastering the Art of Work. And it basically is um, an opportunity for people to join me online. I'm going to teach it live and go through the visioning process for what they want from their life. Because the, the shop for us has been that, right? Like it's hard work and we've done, we've, grown, we've opened two locations in the middle of COVID, like while parenting three small children in New York. So it has come with its like requirements for grit, right? And perseverance, but the ability to dictate how you're spending your time and where you want to spend your time and where you want to like, you know, what you want to pour into and who you want to pour into and who you want to have pour into you. Like that has been so valuable for us as parents um, to be present for ourselves and be present for our children that I, and I don't think societally, like we're just not socialized for that. So um, we're like, you go to school, you get good grades, you go to college, maybe you go to grad school, then you get a job or somewhere you get a job in the middle of those things. You make a good salary, you buy a house, you pay a mortgage, you wait to retire for like 30 plus years, then you die. Maybe before you die, you might get a grandkid or a few, and then you die. Like there's just like way more to life than that, like that linear sort of trajectory. And there's nothing wrong with that trajectory. I just don't think that it actually works for everybody. And um, the course is dedicated to allowing people to like have the audacity to think about what their life can be, how to monetize it. Cause obviously we all have bills to pay and we want to, you know, generational wealth in all communities, specifically communities of color is very important. Um, so that you have options um, and that you can show up in the world in, in equal ways. Um, and so money is a part of this course, like visioning, but then also what is your like personal balance sheet and like what, it's, where do you need to fill in the gaps? If any, you know, what are the levers to pull? And like, what, how do you actually want to live your life? Because life is really short and you don't get these hours and days back, especially when you have kids, like everything is very, it became very clear to me. I was like, oh, I can't, I can no longer clock in, you know, like it took me three children, but I, I, I just had that clarity. Like, no, um, I want to be the PA president of my child's school. Cause I want to be involved in that way. I did it for a year. I, I, you know, I was told I did a great job, um, but I, I did not need to hold that, bear that cross after that year. And I moved on to another project. I, I've always wanted to teach undergrad. I'm doing that now. I would not be able to do those things if I were just following that linear path. Um, and ice cream has created the opportunity for us and for me to, you know, explore all of my interests and, you know, not die or lose my home or, you know, like be hungry in the process. Because I think often we associate uh, taking those risks to be entrepreneur, be creative people with like starvation and out an utter destitution. <laughs> and it's actually the opposite. Like you are so much, you are in control of your life when you are in control of your life. You don't know when you're going to get laid off like Nick did, you know, five years ago. You don't know when they're going to be cutbacks. You don't know if, you know, actually your manager, you don't get along great. And you're going to, you know, in that performance review, actually get a notice that it's not working. Like you're in control of your life when you're in control of your life, you know? So Ice cream has done all of these things. And I just want to, in the fall, create space for people to explore what whatever it is that they want to do can do for them. And then after that, I will launch schmogs for other mothers who um, are in transition with, you know, coming into motherhood or changing work, like, work so that it better fits their life. I'm signing up for Schmoms now. Like, <laughs> I'm still like thinking about that because I'm in a career transition. 
um, where I was recently laid off from my job and I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, what's next? Like, I don't necessarily love making ice cream. Stephanie is actually starting her own shop sheet and is like in the process of it. So I'm like, I sound silly, but I feel like I'm her cheerleader. I just want to like see her thrive and I'm like so excited. Um, and so just like hearing that you used ice cream and tied it with a passion and I'm trying to figure out how it's just really helpful for me, you know, for me to hear and for you to share that with others. So thank you. What I was thinking is that ice cream is seen as just like such a social and you know, casual kind of thing to go eat ice cream. I mean, there's nothing serious about going to eat ice cream. And it's such a great way to get maybe someone who's intimidated by speaking, uh, to speak about these kind of more serious topics. It's such a great gateway to get these people comfortable in these kind of spaces. Because um, if I were someone who has never been to an event like these, I might be intimidated to go to an organization that's only doing those kind of topics. I mean, I might never get myself to go, depending on your personality. Um, it might just be too much to actually even admit you need support or more education in those kind of topics. So I think that it is so beautiful that you're offering it at your shop with your guys' names because it almost feels like a safe space. I mean, just listening to it that way, like I would be like, hey, I'm going to go get some ice cream and maybe I don't have to tell anyone else that thinks I might be going through something. They just think I'm going to go get ice cream. But the truth is, is like I need support attached to that. So I think that that is like really beautiful and amazing because it's probably helping a lot of people show up and be there because they don't have to actually say I need help, which is a lot of times the biggest barrier. Absolutely. And oh, yes, just asking for help is like such a very bold act that yeah. at least in our country, I think it's not encouraged because we are such an, we have such an individualist approach to things that's basically anti-community, you know, and asking for help is saying, I need someone else to join me here to support me. And when we do that, then we forge a connection with the person that we've asked for because we have let down our guard and we are being vulnerable. And being vulnerable is really hard to do for a lot of people. Um, but asking for help, like it, it goes hand in hand with being vulnerable to say like, I cannot do all the things. And there's nothing like motherhood to like remind you that you cannot do all the things. <laughs> like all the things are not happening, you know, without your community, your village, your team, whoever, you know, whether that's friends, family or fee-based, like I need somebody to help me, you know, pick up my kids or whatever it is. Like you just, you can do all the things. And um, being a mother, I think is like a limitless role but there are many limitations that you experience when you're in that experience you know on that journey um and asking for help is like step one like step one do not think you don't have to do all the things you are not a more powerful person when you do more, all the things you actually become a more frail person <laughs> more brittle and like uh leaves you more vulnerable to not being able to show up for all the other people including yourself that are in your life yeah, you got to put on your oxygen mask first sometimes too, I think is the thing too that a lot of people forget in life. Yeah. And I know for me, like every night after my kids go to bed, 
I'm like, this is my ice cream time. Like, <laughs> you know, I share my ice cream, you know, during the day sometimes too, but at night it's like one of those things that like, you know, my mommy time, like people have wine. Yeah, absolutely. When, um, when the first child was born, I had like a beer, it was only just like one beer, you know? Um, cause I was like, I had a pump soon and whatever, but now it is ice cream time. Um, and we live across the street from the Lennox location. So my husband will go down and like, make sure that there's that air conditioners are turned off. Like literally our whole life is surrounded by like children being alive and is there water dripping somewhere? Do you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> because two of the locations are in residential buildings, like the commercial space within a residential building. So what other people are doing in the building can impact us. That happened at the Broadway location. There was like a, a flood and it flooded our, or water damaged our utility closet. So that was the whole thing. Like our, our ears are attuned to water dripping. Like, do you hear that? Is that water? You know? <laughs> so he goes downstairs and make sure to make sure that the, um, one of the air conditioners that had like does um, uh, condense water, like on the outside, make sure that's turned off and everything. Um, and then he brings his and her scoops. That's what I call them, his and her scoops. Um, he always has salted caramel with um, a chocolate cake uh, crumble. And then I have our dark chocolate sorbet with chocolate sprinkles. But we are now um, beta testing a, a non-dairy vanilla and, um, I have a pint of that. I do not keep ice cream in the house um, because of the proximity to the shop and it just creates good boundary. Um, but I do have a pint of that vanilla because he brought it home. He like packed it up after it was churned. Um, and I've been mixing the um, dark chocolate sorbet and the non-dairy vanilla, which I enjoy dairy too. I just can't eat it every day. Like I, my body is like, you don't want that every day. You know, like it, it, you'll at some point go, can you take a break? I did do that though. At different, at different points of these four years, I have had it every day. Anyway, so I go through ebbs and flows. And right now I'm like fully in a non-dairy space with like an occasional dairy scoop. So I do enjoy the flavors. My favorite flavor is the honey lavender that we sell in the spring. And then in the fall, we have um, a cinnamon and hot honey flavor that these two are my heart, you know? Um, anyway, so his and her scoops for us. I'm on the non-dairy train right now, but when those two flavors are offered, then I'm more frequently on the dairy train. I am such a fan of you guys. I cannot wait to try your ice cream. I can't wait to meet you. I feel like you have such an amazing personality just through this Zoom call. And I'm like, you have all of these amazing things that are layered layered into you. Um, and then you make freaking delicious ice cream. Like, wow, you are an A plus human. And I'm like, I <laughs> want to meet you. I want to be your friend. I want to go to your classes. So. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. So our last question on the podcast before we wrap up is, are you the big spoon or the little spoon? I am the big spoon when it comes to eating ice cream. Do I take up a lot of space? I sure do. But I do it thoughtfully, you know, like I, I would say in our, in our relationship, but I don't know. I think, think we're pretty equal, but we just come with different you know, skills and, and, uh, thoughts to our business. So I think of it when I think big and little, I think in that dichotomy, I think of my husband and I, and I'm like, Oh, I'm not little. No. <laughs> so, but he's not little either. You know, like we're just here the same, the same size spoons in the pint, like move, move, move. I want the mix it, you know? Um, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that answers it but, uh, or if, if that suffices, but um, 
I don't, I think when I think of big and little, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's us husband and wife duo just taking it day by day. And I'm definitely not little and neither is he. So we're the same, same size spoon. I love that. Um, and then do you want to share with our listeners where to find you or anything to share? Sure. So we're on Instagram most actively. Um, we're at Sugar Hill Ice Cream. Um, I started as like a little account to kind of document our time raising a family and also being intentional neighbors and loving New York um, called Homesteading in Harlem. So that's like, you know, pictures of, I actually looked at our grid. I was like, it's basically our children. Um, but when you homestead, usually it's in a rural community, um, but we're homesteading in a city. And what I think of homesteading in a city, I think about how do you create home and create a sense of belonging and sustainability. And these are the same concepts that we apply, but we just apply them to the land when they are in rural spaces. How does that work in a city? It, it, it revolves around people and like how you're raising your children and like your values and all that, that all that. So that homesteading in Harlem account captures those sort of reflections and stories. Um, I have uh, have my personal account, which is called Ask Petrushka, which is dedicated to my like coaching, you know, coaching work, which I have found that in the form, I mean, because of the ice cream work, you know, it's like, oh, I am, I've been doing this in previous jobs, but now I can codify it in this way and show up in the world in this way. So Um, those are the three accounts that I, um, connected to. Um, and so if you like ice cream, follow Sugar Hill ice cream. If you want some stories about city and, you know, making a home in the city, homesteading in Harlem. And if you are interested in the coaching, you know, work, um, because you are a woman in transition, whether that's into motherhood or between careers, then ask Petrushka. Thanks for spooning with us today and digging into the stories behind the flavors. It's time to freeze. But for more ice cream content and knowledge, follow us on Instagram, let's spoon underscore podcast, only one S. And follow your host, myself, Brooke, Sundays.mom, and Stephanie, Della Crimery. We hope to have ice cream with you soon.